we have three more factors of enlightenment that we haven't discussed yet altogether there are seven so the next one after the joy is called tranquility and again what we have the same that we had with joy that there is the tranquility which can arise in the mind in order to make meditation possible and then there is the tranquility of the mind when the absorptions have actually worked well so we have the ordinary everyday kind of tranquility which is possible to deliberately arouse in oneself and then the one that is far more satisfying and brings far greater results the Buddha said something quite interesting about the tranquility that we can arouse in the mind which I'm sure all of us are going to like one needs good food good weather and comfortable body posture <laughs> so we have nothing against that do we and he has said at other places and other times the body and the mind have to be comfortable in order to meditate properly so um, since that is one of our aims in life anyway we don't have any objection to that and food plays quite an, a substantial part in one's body comfort or discomfort because he also mentions at other, another time about meditation he says one has to have a good digestion and if you've ever tried to meditate with a tummy ache you know what he means it doesn't have to be a violent tummy ache just enough to make things a bit uncomfortable and things just don't go so well so very pragmatic and realistic and trying to eliminate outer obstacles because we've got so many inner obstacles anyway so that at least the outer ones could be discarded now with the food and the weather and the posture all in order one has a body that sits well and this is an important aspect of meditation in order to get the meditation together and in the beginning when we started if you can still remember this more than what seven days ago or something like that I was talking about posture I said now become aware of the posture you have when you are sitting and try to sit solidly make it um, uh, give it a feeling of being there totally the body that has a solid posture and solid can be anything it doesn't matter it doesn't have uh, any particular uh, leg posture included in there a solid posture is a help to have a quiet body and a, a one that doesn't fidget a, a one that feels at ease opposed to diseased and so with that quiet body and the relaxed body it's easier 
to get the mind going. It still doesn't guarantee a thing, but at least it is a beginning. A body that's relaxed, because it feels at ease, is not meant to be a body that is lying down trying to have the complete comfort that one can get when one is just lying down to sleep. That's totally impossible as a posture for meditation that's supposed to amount to something. The quiet body, the solid posture, has to have included a certain disciplined posture also because that again has concentration and quiet together the body is in a concentrated posture it doesn't fidget it doesn't move it doesn't change and yet it feels at ease and yet it isn't completely loose lying on the floor and trying to find some comfort when one goes to sleep actually one does toss and turn trying to find the best place to fall asleep in you can watch it tonight if you haven't noticed it yet and this is uh, the, um, the mind trying to make the body so comfortable that it can actually fall asleep well obviously we don't want that for meditation so we have to find a way to sit without having the military straight body which is not at all relaxed and without being too relaxed and the same applies to the mind not too tight and not too loose in order to have that kind of relaxation in the mind which is able to fall into a tranquil state. Now the word tranquility is not one of the words that is used actually for the meditative absorptions, but it means exactly the same thing. It concerns the state of mind in the absorption which has this peacefulness in it which we can notice already when the joy has subsided a bit and the joy has subsided somewhat there's a certain peacefulness, a tranquility which then deepens as the meditative absorptions deepen it is a companion tranquility is a companion in the meditation to the joyous state and because it is a companion, it is there also at the same time, it can then become the main meditation subject. Much of the meditation depends on the state of mind that one brings to the pillow. In fact, one might say all of it depends on that. Because when you have the one mind, so if we've got the mind in an agitated, restless state, one that is concerned with too many outside things, it will find it hard to get concentrated and tranquil. So in the course, it is important 
to let go of as much as possible and use mindfulness as a tranquilizer. It is the best tranquilizer there is and it's totally free of charge. There's nothing better available. Pinpointed attention to this moment outside of the meditation so that when one comes to the pillow the mind is prepared. This preparation of the mind then makes it possible to just continue on. Obviously we have very nice weather, excellent food, everybody has found a way to sit by now so none of these things should disturb. I hope your digestion is good too. And so nothing should disturb the bodily posture. The only thing that's disturbed is of course the mental posture. And that one can just as well arrange as one can arrange one's physical being. The mental being can be just as well organized and deliberately put into a situation where it doesn't have to think about many things. One of the things that the Buddha does advocate and uh, suggest is that if we do want to become tranquil and want our meditative process to be successful, that we direct our mind towards the different stages of the jhanas deliberately. Again, the same thing. What the mind wants to do, it's got to direct itself there. It is not a matter of potluck or grace or whatever. It's not coming down like a golden mantle just because we are such nice people. We've got to do something about it, which means directing the mind towards that what we want to attain and achieve. If we want to write a book, we've got to put our mind on it. I'm never going to write a book otherwise. We want to make a phone call, we've got to put our mind on that and make the phone call. It's exactly the same with the meditative absorptions. We've got to put our mind on it. And because I'm giving sufficient probably more than sufficient explanations on what the absorptions are like it shouldn't be difficult to put one's mind on it to just put it there and then do it accordingly it's also no guarantee the mind is a magician it can do anything but if this is what we want to be namely tranquil which is opposed to restless then that's where we have to put our mind before we start meditating. Direct the mind. Put it there. And besides that, not just the moment we sit down or one moment before, but continually, all the time. All the inside meditation methods are also geared in that direction. So the tranquility which we arouse in ourselves before we meditate is then the help and the assistance for the tranquility in the meditation. And tranquility as such is the um, antidote for restlessness and agitation.
and tranquility in the mind during the jhanas has the effect of making it possible to go to the third meditative absorption which has tranquility as its object of meditation peacefulness peacefulness, tranquility, calm whatever we want to call it in some instances the this factor of enlightenment is called calm in some instances in translations it's called tranquility whatever it is called it is the third meditative absorption which has the factor of contentment in it because of the joy that has arisen in the second one and the mind knowing full well that that's what is always wanted independent joy from sense triggers it now becomes contented and this contentment means wishless no wishes, no desires it's at ease it has a feeling of being able to rest it's not looking for anything so calm or tranquility is this factor which then becomes the um, meditation subject and also it needs to be understood that it isn't sufficient to observe these states of mind one has to become these states of mind and that's enormous difference although the sentence is easily said it makes a lot of difference whether we observe them or whether we are them when we observe them they're very superficial and they don't make much of an impression on the mind you see the mind, the psyche is extremely impressed with some states of mind which have impact just like great grief or fury or great fear makes an enormous impression on the psyche and so do these states of the jhanas make an enormous impression if they're properly handled if they're not just something that we observe just like we can't be concentrated if we just observe the breath that's very nice as a as a medium to get there but in order to become fully concentrated we have to actually be the breath and nothing else (coughs) our whole being has to be only breath and then concentration is happening the same here in the meditative absorptions observing any of the states is very interesting, doesn't last is very superficial and doesn't usually have the possibility of continuing further but to be that namely to be peace to be desirelessness to to be desireless to have nothing in the mind which is other than this stillness which arises at that time that makes it possible to go further the first two jhanas the uh, pleasant sensation and the joyousness have a um, 
measure of excitement in them. And they appear to be happening somewhere up here, which of course is only a way of saying it. It's not really that they're happening up there. But the third one has the appearance as if the mind is settling down and the excitement of the first two disappears. The, in the third one, one lets go completely of the pleasant sensation and the joy is in the background. So the joy is no longer important, so one has to learn to let go of it. If one has only done it a few times, one finds it hard to let go because after all that's what one has always wanted and now one's got it and then one's got to let go again. It's not really what one is after. But after having done it several times, that too becomes old hat. And the mind's perfectly happy to get, let it go and go further. A mind, an intelligent mind, knows that that too is not the object of meditation, but only one of the stepping stones. And that is what the Buddha said to do, namely, <coughs> to realize that there is a next step to it. And that goes all the way to the eighth. And even in the eighth, of course, there's also the understanding there is another step. So here, the third one, having let go of the joy, it goes into the background and is sort of like a bit of a residual effect in the background. The main aspect is the contentment, peacefulness, not wanting anything, having a stillness which does not contain any excitement. From a practical standpoint, at that time, sound is still, can still be heard, but it has a feeling as if one is sitting under a glass dome, which cuts out the sound, the um, this loudness of the sound, so that it's only so somewhere in the distance but it's still there if one puts one's attention on it if one doesn't it's not there the next factor of the seven factors of enlightenment is called concentration and obviously this is one of the most important aspects of the meditation and the one that concerns us all. Now, if we are looking at the five factors of the jhanas, initial and sustained application is taken for granted when we talk about the seven factors of enlightenment. And the next two, namely piti and sukha, sensation and joy, are put together in joy. And then when we look at the peacefulness, which is the, the, um, the factor of the one-pointedness, we can see that concentration really concerns one-pointedness. So the tranquility and the concentration are referring to the one-pointedness which we attain in different measure. Now when we are looking at the third jhana, there is a stillness, there is a one-pointedness, but it can go further. And it goes further and becomes ever stiller and ever more one-pointed. 
and concentration actually takes place. Now, we can see here that in the seven factors of enlightenment, concentration refers to that which has nothing else happening. There's no joy, no sensation, no contentment. It's just one-pointedness. And concentration to has again, of course, the aspect of first arising, uh, arousing it, and then having it happen in the meditative absorptions. So for the arousing of concentration, the Buddha gave several different um, aspects which we can use. Namely, to alternate between vigorous, very uh, strong attempt at concentration and relaxing that. And between being totally removed from and equanimous towards one's mental states so that concentration can happen and at other times arousing gladness. So in other words, finding a middle path between strong and mild. And there are times when one has to let the mind loose a bit. Otherwise, it feels like a short circuit. It just doesn't want to get together. It doesn't want to come together. It, the intention is there, but the mind just doesn't want to do it. And at that time, it can feel as if the mind is incapable of being one-pointed. It just has that feeling of rejection. Well, that's the time to let go, to let it loose, to do other things, not to try to have the concentration on calm, but on stillness and peacefulness, but to try and have, do inside methods, to be mindful, to do anything that keeps the mind going, but not as pinpointed. In fact, contemplation may be a very good thing at that time. So the alternation between vigor of being one-pointed and letting loose a bit is a balancing act. The same alternate, not paying any attention to any of one's mental emotional states can alternate between, uh, between that letting that go completely and arousing gladness. Now, I've already mentioned how to arouse gladness with, with our recollections. Any of them will do. Whichever works, that's right. If something else works, use it. In other words, we have to be the judges of what is necessary to do at a certain time. There may be times when we sit down on the pillow and the only thing that we're really interested in at that time is a contemplation. Now, a contemplation does not mean problem solving. Problem solving is an impossibility. One does never solve all problems. 
but contemplation is a, is a possibility. And when we use that, the mind also becomes still and calm, even though it is contemplating something. And other times it may want to sit down and just be calm. The four, the first four meditative absorptions have a simile in the commentaries which are very explicit and explain them quite well. It talks about a person who is wandering through the desert and being extremely thirsty and no water anywhere. That's a person that is dissatisfied, has that feeling of within, a feeling that there must be something more, trying to meditate but nothing happens. So thirsty, no water anywhere. And then in the distance sees some water. Excitement arises. Excitement which is also co-joined with gladness. That's the first one, this pleasant sensation which is exciting. And so, of course, there's nothing else to do except get nearer to this water hole. Goes nearer and stands at the edge. It's full of joy because now sees the water right in front of his eyes and still excited because the joy is there and the excitement is there. Now I'm going to get my wishes fulfilled bends down and drinks, contented, at peace. And then gets out of the water hole, goes to the nearest big tree and lies down in the shade. Complete peace and stillness, the fourth one. So these four different steps are also here in the seven factors of enlightenment. And they are part and parcel of the pathway. The pathway which brings the mind to a different state of being, a different state of consciousness. As we go along, I will certainly mention the other four jhanas which are still possible to do, which belong with this pathway and change consciousness again. But here are the first four which the Buddha mentions consistently and sometimes does not mention the other four because the other four are enlargements upon the fourth one. So we will see as we go along that there is something more except these, uh, besides these four. The concentration factor which is, of course, the, the pinpointed um, awareness which we eventually have to uh, develop in ourselves in order to do justice to meditation, is what we need to first arouse and then keep going. As we keep it going, we come to the point where in the meditation of all the five factors of the absorption, only the fifth one remains. The fifth one, the one-pointedness, which is the 
factor of the force absorption. From a practical standpoint, out of the first four, only the fourth one is difficult. The other three are not at all. And the fourth one is difficult because it more difficult, not that difficult, but more than the first three, because there cannot be an observation. It has to be the participation. If we are observing it, we're not doing it. Only when one comes out of it does one know what was going on. And also, because of that, it has the implication that at that time the ego does not exist. If the ego wants to exist at that time, it cannot be the participant, it can only be the observer. And this is the reason why we are so often on the verge of getting concentrated, but remain the observer instead of being the concentration because the ego wants to do something, wants to have some activity, it wants to be part of the whole scene, doesn't want to be cut out completely, so it says, all right, you want to meditate, at least I can observe it. And as we're observing it, we're not really doing it because we're dividing our attention between that what is happening and that what we're observing. But the only thing, the only way it can become one-pointed if we have no division. So in the fourth one, that cannot possibly happen, the fourth one, unless we're doing that, namely being it, being the participant. Because of this, there is another great benefit of the jhanas. Namely, there comes an inkling, just an inkling, of what it's like to be without the ego. Not that, without that, the mind could very often object. Because after all, it's the me that's trying to do all that, and then to get rid of the me, it seems to be an absurdity, and it seems to be actually um, even linguistically an impossibility. But having experienced the jhani concentration, the mind knows without a shadow of a doubt that this is what really means peace. Nothing else means peace, only that. The ego comes right back, that's a guarantee. Immediately when the meditation is over, it's there as big as it's always been. But it has an additional understanding that it isn't as desirable as it always thought it was. It always thought it was the most desirable thing in the world. That without it, the world would stop. Everybody thinks they're the, the center of the universe. The universe couldn't possibly exist unless I know about it. But having had those experiences, there's a slight doubt in the mind that that's really so. One is, one is willing to give it at least the benefit of the doubt. Until then, it was a certainty. But then, 
this, this benefit of the doubt about the importance of the ego makes a big impact because it's a complete change now obviously that's not the only way we can get this benefit of the doubt but it's a very uh, pleasant way to do it it doesn't hurt we don't have to be knocked over the head so many times to have our ego assertions um, spoiled we can actually see it ourselves the interesting thing is that from a super mundane standpoint there still is an observer but it is so minute in the fourth one particularly it is so minute that we can't really name it the only time the observer completely disappears is at path and fruit I'll explain those at another time because then there can be absolutely no observer because the ego is lost during that one mind moment but here we have already a taste a foretaste we have a foretaste of what it's like to be totally at peace and to want nothing now in the third one we want nothing it's a wishless state contentment because we got what we wanted obviously as soon as we come out of that we can think of something new we want but having been while we're in it we can't because if we do think of something we're no longer in it and if we have seen Dukkha clearly and certainly I will explain Dukkha in more detail we can come to what is called the wishless liberation which is a liberation of understanding that <clears throat> anything we wish makes Dukkha and therefore liberation can come through that complete penetration of Dukkha in all its most subtle aspects and then having seen that letting go and here in the third one we have a foretaste of that how peaceful it is when one wants nothing actually it's the only way to live and it doesn't mean material things it's not, not so difficult to let go of wanting new clothing and new cars and new refrigerators but to want nothing to be in a state of equilibrium where everything is the way it is and that's fine the foretaste of that happens in the jhanas and therefore they're indispensable they're not just nice to have they're not just a way to go they're indispensable for any deep realization and that's why the Buddha did them it's as simple as that interesting also may be the fact that we can find them in all spiritual teachings named something fancy sometimes sometimes the names completely obscure but obviously what people have been doing it is a natural way for the mind to progress if we allow it to do that and we must do more than allow I like to repeat this we must aim for it now the aiming is not the expectation but putting the mind in that direction not, not saying to oneself oh I wish I could have the jhanas or wouldn't it be nice if I could have this concentration nothing like that but recognizing the fact 
that observing is not good enough but being that thing that we are actually meditating on in the first instant the breath in the second instant the pleasant feeling in the third instant being the joy then next being that stillness, peacefulness, contentment and then because of that going deeper going deeper means that we could compare it if we wanted to make a comparison that the fourth jhana is like a well which is very deep but obviously it also has of course a beginning this well so sometimes one may be able to be at the, only at the surface of this well and sometimes going deeper the deeper one goes into this well the less it's possible to hear any sound at the bottom of the well there's no, obviously no sound one must be willing though to go down into that well where there's nothing happening other than total peacefulness where the ego has absolutely no support in fact where it may feel like drowning that's a giving up and letting go and if one can't give up and let go then this um, path is still very difficult whereas in a matter of, as a matter of fact the concentration aspects of the meditative absorptions is what makes gives ease to the mind doesn't give difficulty to the mind it gives ease to the mind it's what the mind needs in order to be buoyant to be energetic to be happy to be able to withstand all the um, difficulties that any human life contains and not only that but the jhanas make it possible for us to accept the fact of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and nobody there quite easily. If we don't have them, we have all sorts of objections. If we have them, no objection. Perfectly okay. In fact, it's the best relief there is. It's like letting go of the 50-pound backpack or 100-pound backpack. I've never had a 100-pound one. I had a 50-pound one. It's terrible. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> it's like exactly like that. This uh, they sing this monkey on our backs. It's called me. That moment of having total peacefulness has to be a moment without that monkey on one's back. And then one knows that that's where one is going to get rid of this monkey once and for all. The jhanas are worldly, they're not super mundane. They do not have the connotation of enlightenment. They have the connotation of having momentary display of what it's like when there is peace. When this monkey on our back has been so quietened down that we hardly notice it unfortunately it doesn't go away when we come out of it again out of the jhanas it's right there but we recognize it now for what it is the biggest disturbance so <clears throat> the the factors of enlightenment 
which are to be aroused out of meditation then become meditative factors the joy the um, tranquility or the calm then the concentration and last not least equanimity now the one pointedness of the fourth jhana can be said to contain equanimity but because the fourth jhana is a very deep state of concentration where the awareness of oneself is to a great uh, part already um, disappearing one could rather say that equanimity is something that arises out of the ability to be concentrated like that obviously because there's total peace and stillness there is equanimity but it isn't something that one is so totally aware of in fact i would say one's not aware of it at all because equanimity is a mental state and at that time of being totally concentrated there is no awareness of mental state there's just awareness of being completely without anything just still the stillness is so deep and so penetrating and all pervading that it doesn't have anything in else in it but equanimity is a factor which has which is a resultant of that which is a residual effect having been able to be that concentrated having uh, experienced that kind of peacefulness equanimity becomes a factor which is far easier to arouse equanimity in worldly life has as its far enemy of course agitation but as its near enemy indifference and indifference looks so similar to equanimity that one has the idea they are the same and if we look at somebody not ourselves somebody else we usually can't even tell the difference we think because a person is indifferent to what's going on around them they already have attained equanimity even mindedness but the difference is great indifference is a shield it's like an armor we put around ourselves so that we don't have to get at our emotions because we've been so often betrayed been betrayed by our own emotions that we really don't really want to know about them anymore so some people are very able and capable sorry able and capable <laughs> of getting indifference and thinking actually that they have equanimity but it's easy to see the difference when we consider the fact that if we have put an armor around ourselves we can't get at our heart so loving kindness and compassion is totally lacking in indifference all we're trying to do is protect ourselves from our own emotions a person who has indifference very often feels like a spectator and not like a participant in life it's all very interesting what's happening out there but thank god it's not happening to me which is the a reaction of a person who is indifferent and after a while a person who has practiced that for some time and it's a practice which people do out of fear it becomes quite 
unpleasant for the person who has it because even when they don't want to be indifferent they can't manage because it has become a habit of the mind the armor is too strong it sometimes can be felt in the sleeping and it can sometimes also be eliminated through the sweeping when we do the sweeping technique and in the chest there's a feeling of hardness then that very often is that armor it's very common a person who has that difficulty finds it of course quite um, a chore to uh, to um, feel loving kindness in the meditation but again that meditation practice is also an antidote for indifference equanimity is set by the buddha as the highest of all emotions the epitome it has to be based on insight only then does it become the true expression until then until it becomes one's true expression it is a practice and a very worthwhile practice not to get excited about things very worthwhile the insight is based on the impermanence and the substanceless nature of all that exists and because of that even mindlessness arises in the face of that which is exhilarating and that which is depressing for other people the even mindedness does not get shaken very often and i'm going to preempt that question people think how boring i do want to get excited and be on top of the world and i don't care if i get down to the bottom again a person that thinks that and it's not uncommon hasn't seen dukkha because going up and down of course is dukkha and has no idea what it means to be even minded a person with even mindedness has a residue and a um a base of joy and contentment and safety which is unshakable because there is no fear or worry about an unwholesome reaction an unwholesome emotional reaction the person who has equanimity knows the emotional reaction is going to be even minded it doesn't matter what happens therefore the inner joy is not to be disturbed now that kind of inner joy is a quiet joy and not the emotional high which people like and therefore it doesn't have an emotional low equanimity is the is a practice path based on ever renewed insight into the three characteristics of course it also has an addition a lack of desire because equanimity cannot possibly arise in the face of desire because in the face of desire there's only one thing that arises namely dukkha that's all it can possibly arise so that's a pathway in daily life 
And if we are able to do the fourth jhana, come to that state of complete stillness and peacefulness, then equanimity has a residual effect. Equanimity is noticed after coming out of this uh, fourth jhana because fourth jhana being at the bottom of the well can be extremely deep. If it's halfway down the well, maybe not so deep. But if it's at the bottom of the well, the depth of that precludes the, uh, the noticing of the equanimity. Equanimity is a state of mind. It's not just peace and stillness. So after coming out of the fourth jhana, the residual effect of it is equanimity. And equanimity is totally other than dullness or lack of interest. It's totally other than indifference. Dullness and lack of interest have a relationship to indifference. Dullness and lack of interest arouse indifference. And indifference arouses dullness and lack of interest. And a mind which has equanimity can do many things will be interested in everything but upset about nothing and therefore the Buddha calls equanimity the epitome of all emotions the jewel in the crown of all emotions these are the seven factors of enlightenment mindfulness at the the, uh, beginning as the opening factor investigation of all phenomena meaning the three characteristics keeping that in mind not forgetting all the time whenever there's anything that the senses contact to use that especially in a course like this the mental energy and then the meditative factors of joy, calm, concentration and equanimity which relate to the four jhanas but are also their residual effects and also our practice to get there. One of the things which is important is also, or helpful I should say rather, is also to have the ability to arouse joy because of recollection and then use that as an entry towards the meditative absorptions so that the mind is really geared towards this have the worldly joy to go towards that which is meditative when I say worldly, it doesn't mean that the jhanas are otherworldly. They are meditative. And worldly is the ordinary kind. Okay, that's enough for this evening. Any questions, comments? Anything? Joy, um, is it 
sometimes or frequently possible when you're saying to have this worldly feeling of joy um, to dispense altogether with mindfulness of the breathing and just use that feeling of joy and allow it to grow into the absorption? Sure. The, the attention on the breath is just fiddling with the key. If the door is reasonably open or just, you know, not locked at least, we don't need the key. I mean, watching the breath is really... I don't know, some people think they're going to have to do this for the rest of their lives. I mean, I, I, I would hate even to think like that. It's not necessary at all. In fact, when one becomes um, practiced in the meditative absorptions, then the, the first one, the pleasant sensation, uh, can arise and will arise just by thinking of meditation. Or just saying the word or hearing it or just thinking, I'd like some peace and quiet. Or sitting down on a pillow or waiting at the dentist anytime, anywhere because that's only the entry hall but the breath is only necessary if the door is locked again and again because of non-practice then of course one has to do it again that's how it works And the breath is not, it's only one of the many keys. There are others. What else? Anything else? That comes to mind. all perfectly clear good wonderful that should bring good results I think I might have forgotten in the tranquility to say one should avoid restless people but I mean it's always the same thing avoiding the people that do the opposite no It's in all of these states, again and again, the Buddha puts an emphasis on our association, who we associate with. It's, it's an, something that is um, in our society uh, not deliberately thought about, you know, who we associate with, but it does come about anyway because we usually associate with people who have the same interests that we have except of course our relations we have to go and visit them anyway but uh, otherwise it's uh, we do have usually association with people who have the same interest so if we are a jhana meditator we shall be delighted to meet other jhana meditators I would think and this is what the Buddha has in mind and that's why there are little groups of meditators to be found everywhere. Yes. 
prepared for Q&A last on the last course, uh, and you just mentioned again in the talk, I think just then, that mystical uh, experience is common to all religions, and I think that may have been the lady is here perhaps. But I think you mentioned, well, I, I've read St. John of the Cross and uh, St. Teresa of the Villa, and both of their descriptions of their mystical experiences seem to me to be incredibly similar to the Yes, well, uh, absolutely. I mean, that house with eight chambers, I stole that from Teresa. <laughs> That's what she calls it. And the watering of the, the watering of the garden. Yes, yes. Well, this water business of reappears everywhere. Because water has a sense of purity about it. Yes. Um, in fact, when I started reading her, I, I had already been using the watering of the garden and the, the weeds and all that. I was delighted. I thought, well, that's nice. The pity she's not alive. <laughs> it's beautifully expressed in that other way. It's very simple and it's, mm. very, it's very easy to, yes. um, to have access to it. Well, she, she probably is the easiest to understand of all of them. Um, Meister Eckert, believe it or not, who is very difficult to understand, also did the jhanas, but of course he never mentions that in so many words. But I went to the pr uh, trouble and, um, of, you know, studying him, I really studying him, but two and a half months before I could even understand where these points were, but he's doing exactly the same thing and came to this exact same conclusion. There's no difference. So, um, particularly in the Christian mystics. I have not studied any of the other mystics, so I can't say, but I would say that one would find the same in the Sufi mystics. I haven't studied them, I don't know. But the Christian mystics of the Middle Ages, well, they're all doing that. And it's very, very easy to find in Teresa and difficult in Eckhart and very easy in Francisco de Osuna, who was the Teresa's teacher so some of them describe it so well it's easy to find it's a natural way for the mind to go and uh, for s it's called mysticism which really gives it a, the wrong connotation I think it's still called that because I think the word mysticism brings up in the mind the idea it's a mystery these are two very similar words it's no mystery at all. And it's not even mystical. It's just that the mind gets another co uh, consciousness, another level. That's all. That's all there is to it. It's still called mysticism. But it's, it's totally natural. And it's not mysterious at all. No mystery about it. Yes, I often mention that the fact that the uh, Christian mystics uh, have done the same thing. And there seems to be a little bit, a tiny little bit, of revival in that area. At least that's what we are experiencing in Europe. I don't know what's going on in Australia in that respect because I haven't, uh, you know, contact, any contact. But in Europe, yes, there's a revival in, in Christianity in a small measure. But it's happening. And very open-minded very interested in what we're doing not all but many so we have a, have a great opportunity in fact I give a 
or what they would call a sermon in a Catholic church. Mm. <laughs> it was very nice too. So there's a, there's a, there is a revival, definitely. And it's available to anyone who wants it. I mean, anyone who wants to know the Buddha's teaching or the meditation techniques. Or, but then, of course, there are those who, who don't want it, who oppose it violently and quite angrily at times. But it's available. But first we've got to learn it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Please put the attention on the breath for just a moment. Now imagine that you have a beautiful white lotus flower growing in your heart. completely surrounded by the purity of your heart in which it's growing and it opens all its petals until it's fully open and out of the center of this beautiful flower comes a golden stream of light which fills you from head to toe with warmth, beauty, contentment and surrounds you with a feeling of love, well-being, a feeling of being protected. Now let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart reach out to the person nearest you in this room and fill him or her with the warmth and joy that come from your heart and surround him or her with love providing a sense of well-being and being protected. And now let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart reach out to everyone here, filling everyone with the warmth and joy from your heart, 
and surrounding everyone with love, where everyone gets a sense of well-being, a sense of protection. Now think of your parents, whether they're still alive or not, and let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart reach out to their hearts, filling them with the warmth and joy and gratitude from your heart, embracing them with love. so that they can feel this sense of well-being and protection. And think of those people who are nearest and dearest to you. Let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart reach out to them. Fill them from head to toe with warmth and joy and contentment. Surround them with love without expecting the same in return. And think of all your good friends. Let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart reach out to them. 
bringing them your friendship, your warmth, your care, and your love. And now think of all the people who come into your life every day or now and then. Neighbors, colleagues at work, people on the street, in the shops, in the offices, whom you meet on your travels. Make them part of your heart, part of your life. Let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart reach out to all these people. Fill them with the warmth from your heart, your care, your concern. Surround them with your love. Think of any person in your life whom you either dislike or are totally indifferent to. And then let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart reach out to that person, filling him or her with your love and your concern and your care. so that there's no blockage in your own heart.
And now let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart reach out to people near and far, taking your love, your concern, your care, the warmth from your heart to as many people as possible. First touching those that are physically near, around here, and then going further and further. To the cities and towns and villages, all over Australia. the ocean to the other lands and other peoples like a golden stream of light full of love surrounding the globe touching people's hearts as far as the strength of your love will permit. Now put your attention back on yourself. Let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart fill you from head to toe with warmth and light and joy. Surround you with love and contentment. Giving ease and happiness. Now let the golden stream of light go back inside the lotus flower. Let it close its petals. And then anchor it in your heart so that it may become one with it. May all beings be happy and peaceful.